This morning you may have opened your bulletin and seen the title of this week's message, uh, Dying by Faith, and thought, hey, it's uh, Christmas season, great holiday time, we're going to come to church, we're going to hear this great, inspiring, uplifting message, and you open your bulletin and you're like, wow, uh, what a downer uh, for us to talk about dying right here in the middle of the Christmas season when we're celebrating hope, love, joy, peace, and death. Uh, well, hopefully this won't be too painful of a, of a message, but we are continuing our series in Hebrews 11, and we're, we're coming to a passage where actually the last, uh, last three that we're going to look at before the holidays, um, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they're all commended for what they did at the end of their life. And we've already looked at Isaac last week. This week we'll be looking at Jacob and seeing how he ended his life, and next week we'll be looking at Joseph. Um, but I, I know it's kind of a strange thing to talk about dying, and uh, quite honestly, I feel a little bit close to death this week, uh, thanks to my sinuses and my allergies, and I know many of you are feeling that same way. I've been on antibiotics since Monday, and I thought I was supposed to be getting better, but yesterday I woke up, and now I can't hear, and now I can't breathe, and it's like I'm going the opposite direction. And so I, I was reminded, how many of you remember those those uh, frozen pizza commercials from the 90s, what do you want on your tombstone, right? Uh, pepperoni and cheese, you know, and, and as I was thinking about that this week, I started thinking about some funny tombstones that I had seen uh, just across the internet. So we've got a couple of those. Here's the first one. I love this one. This one's going to be me. Uh, I told you I was sick. Uh, and then the next one we have is this one here. Raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom and still there was love, all right? So... Uh, many of you guys will get that. And I think we can all relate to this last one that we have here. Uh, it says, we finally found a place to park in Georgetown. Um, if you've been to HEB, you know that feeling. Uh, or you tried to go downtown, you know that feeling. So these are some funny things, but the reality is that, that death comes to us all. Death comes to us all. And I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, because there's a... There's an interesting verse here about Jacob and about how he ended his life. And I really love uh, this phrase that's in here. Let's read 21, chapter 11, verse 21 from Hebrews together. It says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now, I don't know about you, but those, those last words about his life and how it ended uh, are, are quite inspiring to me when I really stop and think about him. We're going to pull those apart and look at those a little bit more in depth in just a little bit, but I want that phrase to sink in for you for just a moment. When he was dying, think about that. When he was dying, death, death is the true test of a person. It's at the end of your life. Uh, it usually doesn't... The end of life is usually the close of self-deception. You can't go on living a lie when you're close to death, when you're facing death. Everything that's difficult, everything um, that you you once thought was true, if it's not true, if it's self-deception, if it's a lie, begins to fade away. And I think this is evident from people like, like Voltaire. Voltaire was the French Enlightenment writer and philosopher who basically said that, oh, we're past the age of, of faith and, and we're now moving to this age of enlightenment where everything is science and reason. And he said this at the end of his life, after preaching 
adamantly his whole life against Christianity. He said, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. O Christ, O Jesus Christ. These are his dying words on his deathbed. Thomas Paine, another ardent atheist, militant atheist, said this on his deathbed, I would give worlds if I had them, if the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Stay with me. It is hell to be left alone. The facade fades away when these men are faced with death. I love this other quote by Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher in the, the 18th century He said, beneath the touch of the skeleton finger, shams dissolve into thin air, and only truth remains. And so it is at the end of the life of Jacob. Everything about his life begins to fade away, and the truth of who this man is shines through. And what I love is that if you know the story of Jacob, you know that here's a man who spent his whole life wheeling and dealing, heel-grabbing and backstabbing, manipulating, conniving, cheating, and deceiving other people. Think about his history. We know from the very beginning, we're told that that he and his brother, Jacob and Esau, that he was a twin, and he was born grabbing the heel of his brother, just a symbol of how the rest of his life was going to be, trying to deceive other, other people. We know that later he tricks his brother out of his birthright. His older brother, he tricks him and cheats him out of the birthright. And then later, he and his mom come up with this plan to lie and and steal the blessing from his older brother. So he's backstabbing. He's lying to his father. He's manipulating his family. And he finally gets what he wants, but he's got to run away because now his brother wants to murder him. So he runs away to his uncle Laban. And there, he gets a little taste of his own medicine, if you go back and read the story. And I love how when, uh, when he arrives at Laban, I thought this was funny to me this week, but he arrives to meet his, his uncle Laban because his parents have sent him away because his brother wants to kill him because he just stole his brother's blessing. And it says he told Laban everything, and Laban's response is this, surely you are my flesh and blood. Like, <laughs> hey, you're a backstabber, you're a cheater, you're lying. Hey, you, you must be part of the family. Uh, but uh, to me that was just funny that, that that's his response. And, and then we know that eventually he leaves Laban's household leaves Laban's household, and he comes, and he's going back home. Twenty years later, he's going to encounter his brother, who last time he saw him wants to murder him. And the night before, he wrestles with God. Jacob wrestles with God, and it's in that moment that God changes his life and, in fact, changes his name. And we know that even from that point on, even after wrestling, coming face-to-face with God, that Jacob still played favorites with his sons. He had 12 sons, and he had a favorite of those 12 sons. So much so that, in fact, the other 11 wanted at one point to murder their brother. And instead, they end up selling him into slavery, and it impacts their whole family. Yet here at the end of his life, we see that Jacob truly is a man of faith, that he truly is a man of God, that in his last moments, the only thing he wants to do is to worship, and his faith begins to shine through as an example for us all. And there's three things that I want us to see about the end of Jacob's lives that ought to inspire every single one of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. And the first is that Jacob dies blessing others by faith. Jacob dies blessing others by faith. And so we too must bless others by faith. Let's look at chapter 48 in Genesis, beginning in verse 3. So just a little bit of background. Joseph's son, the one that the other 11 wanted to murder, uh, gets 
in, ends up being sold into slavery, and then he ends up in Egypt, and through a long series, which we'll cover next week, he actually ends up being the second in command, second only to Pharaoh in Egypt, which turns out to be a great thing because there's another great famine in Canaan, and his family has to come down to Egypt, and they find out that he's alive, and he begins to provide for him, and he says, look, you guys don't weather this storm in Canaan. Just come here and live with me in Egypt, and I'll make sure that you're taken care of. And so they're there in Egypt, and Jacob, who's, who for the last 20 years has thought that his son was dead, realizes that his son is alive. And then he lives in Egypt for 17 years, and the time comes, he begins to get to the end of his life, and he begins, begins to get weaker and weaker. So in verse 3, we read that Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make many nations come from you, and I will give the land... Uh, this land as an eternal possession to your future descendants. Your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me, just as Reuben and Simeon do. Children born to you after them will be yours, but it will be recorded under the names of their brothers who regard their, uh, with regard to their inheritance. I was returning to Padan. To my sorrow, Rachel died along the way, some distance from Ephrathah, in the land of Canaan, I buried her there along, uh, along the way to Ephrathah, uh, Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, whose are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons that God has given me here. So Jacob said, bring them to me and I will bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of his old age. He could, bar- he could hardly see. Joseph brought them to him and he kissed them and embraced them. So here is Jacob at the end of his life. At the end of his life, and what does he want to do? He wants to bless his son and his grandson. And we go on and we read, just as we did in uh, Hebrews 11, that he was old, and when he was dying, when he was dying, what does he do? He calls for his sons. He wants to bless his sons and his grandsons, and he worships. And then that last line, we read that he's leaning on his staff. Now, if you go back to chapter 47, the end of chapter 47, verse 31, you read that Jacob sits up in bed, and then we read that he worships at the head of his bed. Now, the interesting thing there is that the word for, for bed and staff in Hebrew are very, very similar. In fact, without the vowels, uh, which if you know anything about Hebrew, without the vowels, it's the exact same word. It's the same root word. Uh, and the vowel points were added much, much later. And the crazy thing is that uh, the Hebrew often has the word, with the vowel points, has the word for bed. But later we read in Hebrew, somehow the writer comes along and he says that it's his staff. So which is it? Is it his bed or his staff? Um, honestly, I think that what happens is that he sits up in bed and he's so weak that even sitting up in his bed, he's got he's to have a staff to lean on. And so he's so weak, but he so desires to bless his family that he sits up and he begins leaning on his staff so that he can bless his family members. And I love this picture of a man who's so frail and so weak, yet so hungry to pass on a blessing to someone else. It's a reminder that the blessing that Jacob gives is not a blessing that he gives in his own strength. Inside of this feeble old Jacob, there's a spiritual Israel hidden away, an Israel who by wrestling with God, obtained God's blessing, and now is able and desires to pass on that blessing to others. 
And so he rises with the dignity of a king, a prophet, and a priest. And he leans on his staff, and he pronounces a blessing over Joseph's sons. Not in his own strength, but in God's strength. Something that, that we should remember that as we bless others, our, our call is not to bless in our own strength, but we rely on God's strength in blessing others. I, I want us to keep going in verse 15 and 16. We read this. It says, Then he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who is my shepherd, who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May, may they be called by my name and by the names of my father, a, fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow and be numerous within the land. Skip down to verse 20. And he says this. So he blessed them that day with these words. The nation of Israel will invoke blessings by you, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh, putting Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Look, I'm about to die, but God, my, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Over and above what I'm giving your brothers, I'm giving you the one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Now, I love these verses where we read about the actual blessing that he gives his grandsons. In the next chapter, chapter 49, we see that he's going to bless all of his own sons. But here we read about his, his grandsons that he sees. And we see, first and foremost, that the blessing that he gives is a blessing by faith in the covenant promises of God. Notice how he invokes the covenant that God made with Abraham that was carried on through Isaac and now carried on through Jacob. It's not a blessing of his own will. It's not a blessing of anything other than the covenant promises of God. He has nothing else to give. In fact, he says, I, I, only, I only own one little hill and this burial plot. That's all. That's all we own. Yet we see this, this other interesting fact about Jacob and his blessing. He passes on through his blessing what he only possesses by faith. He talks about the entire land of Canaan as if it's his own. Did you catch that? He says, look, this whole land of Canaan, you and your brothers, uh, I'm giving it to you all. Now, if, if you're not a person of faith, you hear that, and you think, okay, the old man at 147, he's lost it. This guy's gone crazy. He doesn't own anything. That's like me looking out and saying to my kids, like, you know what? Gary Park, it's yours. I just... I, you, one of these days, it's going to be yours. You can have it, right? People would think that I was insane. Enchanted Rock, son, it's all yours. You can have it. Like, I don't own that. I can't give that away. I don't own it. But here's the thing. By faith, Jacob owns it. He understands the promise of God, that God has said one day you and your descendants will inherit this entire land. He possesses it by faith. He believes that God's promise will come true. And so when he looks at his sons, he says, look, we're not going to be here forever. We're not going to stay here for the rest of our lives. And Someday there's going to come a point when our family is going to go back and we're going to take possession of that land. And I want you to know that it's already yours. I'm giving it to you. What I possess by faith, I believe God will give to you in reality. Now, this isn't some prosperity, name it and claim it, because God had actually promised that thing to him. 
But he speaks of it as if it's a reality. He speaks of it as if it's reality. Let us continue on uh, and look at the next thing. It says not only did he bless his family by faith when he was dying, it says that when he was dying, he worshipped by faith. He worshipped, leaning on his staff. So for those of us who live by faith, my prayer is that we would, we would die worshiping by faith. The reality of worship is that it's an act that no one without faith can perform. Because whoever comes to God must believe that he is, and he must believe that he rewards those who seek him. The point here about Jacob worshiping in his last hour, to me, is that it's a priority for him. Jacob has made worship of God a priority. And he says, no matter how weak I am, no matter how little time I have left, I'm going to make this a priority. I'm going to make the worship of God the one thing that I do with the little time that I have. How many of us say that with the little time that we have, we're going to make the worship of God a priority? Or do we look at our schedules and say, if there's time and I can fit it in, then maybe I'll worship God. Here's a man who only has a little time left, and he makes worship a priority. Let's look at the kind of worship that he offers. Look back at verse 11 in chapter 48. It says, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. I think the kind of worship that Jacob offers is first and foremost worship of gratitude. He's grateful. He's grateful for all that God has done for him. And he says, I never thought God would do this much for me. I never thought I was even going to see my son again. They brought me your, your jacket and it was all torn up and bloody. And they told me animals had taken you. Yet God has allowed me to see my grandsons through you. God has allowed me to see the fulfillment of many of his promises. And while many of those promises have yet to be fulfilled, I believe they will be fulfilled. And so I'm grateful for all that God has given me. I wonder what kind of worship we offer. Do we offer a worship out of gratitude the way Jacob did? Next, we see that Jacob's worship was one of testimony. This is perhaps one of my favorite verses here in Verse 15, as he's blessing Joseph, he says, The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Think about that phrase. God who's been my shepherd all my life to this day. Now think about all that Jacob has been through. Run through those events. Backstabbing, manipulating, conniving, wheeling and dealing, all that stuff. As he looks back on his life, Jacob says, you know what? Even though I I wasn't walking with God in those early days, God was with me. God was shepherding me. He was there. Even in the midst of, of me trying to mess up all of his plans, God was there and he was guiding me through it. God was with me. And then as I began to wrestle with God and he changed my life and he changed my name, God was with me. He was shepherding me. And you think about what a shepherd does. The two main responsibilities of the shepherd are to provide and to protect. And so he says, man, God has been providing for me and he's been protecting me. Most of my life he's been protecting me from myself. How many of us can relate to that? Can I get an amen? 
Like how many times have we tried our hardest to screw everything up? And yet God says, nope, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to protect you, even from yourself. As hard as you're trying to mess this up, I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you go down that path. And so he gives this worship of a testimony to his grandsons and to his sons. And he says, if there's anything I can pass on, let it be this testimony. Let it be this story of the God who provides and protects. Lastly, I want us to see that Jacob dies says he's leaning on his staff. And, and what is the importance of that? Why is it important? We, we know that he was weak. We know that he had no strength to do anything on his own. But here's, here's what I think is the most significant thing about that. Joseph dies understanding that he is a sojourner. He's a traveler. He's a pilgrim. He's a wanderer. Egypt is not his home. And he refuses to accept that Egypt is his home because God has promised him Canaan. God has promised his descendants Canaan. And so we see that he's able to bless and to worship because he knew that he was only a sojourner in this life. Verse 40, chapter 47, if you go back, he's at the end of his life. He knows he's dying and he calls for his son Joseph. And he tells Joseph, he says, look, I'm going to die here in Egypt, but I want you to swear to me that you will not bury me here. This is not my home. This is not where I belong. This is not where you belong. This is not where our descendants belong. God has made us a promise. God has promised us something better. God has promised us Canaan. And so in his last act, he says, look, put your hand under my thigh. Make this a solemn oath that if, if you don't follow through on this, it's your life. That you're going you're gonna to bet your life that you're going to bury me back in Canaan where I belong because I don't belong here. I'm just passing through. And so his son swears to him that, hey, when you die, we're going to take your body and we're going we're to bury you back. Back in Canaan. Back where you belong. Now here's a man. His son is second only to Pharaoh. All of the riches of Egypt, the richest country in the world at this time, the most powerful country in the world at this time, all of those riches are available to him. Every single comfort and pleasure that he could ever even imagine are available to him. And Jacob says, I reject that. I reject that because this is not my home. I don't want my kids or my grandkids to think that this is what this life is about because we have a promised land. We have a promise and a covenant from God that there is something better for us. And so I'm going to reject every single aspect of that and I'm going to put my hope, I'm going to live my life looking forward to the land that God has promised. I'm not going to take hold of any of these things. It's by faith that he lets go of the present and grasps the future. That he renounces the temporal and he seizes the eternal. He refuses the treasures of Egypt, but he clings to the covenant of God. How many of us could say that the, tr- the same is true for us? How many of us find ourselves rejecting the temporal going after the eternal. Jacob's story is, is amazing to me. And that one phrase, when he was dying, when he was dying. See, the reality is that death is the great equalizer. Every single one of us is going to face death at some point. Most of us will have that moment. In fact, I, I want you to 
to take a moment. And I want you to play out your last scene in your head and think through when he was dying, when she was dying, what will be said next? What will be said next of you? I was talking with my mom yesterday. Uh, my, my grandmother is 94, almost 95 years old. And, and uh, she's already said, I don't know that I'll be here at Christmas. And I, I do believe that for some people that there's that moment when you're dying and you know the end is near, that you know that it's coming. Just like Jacob knew that the end was coming. He says, I don't have much time. And now, for my grandmother, she's a follower of Jesus Christ, and so we have every confidence, and, and uh, uh, she has absolute peace in this moment. I don't know if that'll happen or not. Maybe that's superstition, but think about the end of your life. Should God bless you with a long life that you would come to the end and you would look and say, I know that my time on earth has almost come to an end and soon I'll be united with my Father in heaven. Think about that phrase, when he was dying, what will be said? I think the story of Jacob is not just a story about how to die by faith. I actually think the story of Jacob gives us principles to live by faith. So I want us to look at these three points again, but I want us to think not how to end our life by faith, but how do we live by faith? If you would, uh, you can go ahead and cross out die, and it's like this up here on the screen. So cross that out and write live by faith. What does it look like to live by faith? How do we take this example of Jacob and apply it to our everyday lives? The first thing that we have to remember is that we need to live blessing others. We bless others by faith, not in our own strength. Just as Jacob had no physical strength of his own, we can't bless in our own strength. Not having uh, a strength of our own, we bless others in the strength that God provides. Having faith in God's promises, just as Jacob blessed based on the promise of God, the covenant promise of God, and we bless others by passing on what we possess only by faith. We have to pass on what we possess only by faith. Because the reality is that while we have eternal life, we have yet to receive the fullness of it. We have it only by faith. And while we know that our sins are forgiven, I can tell you from experience, we still sin. And so it's only by faith that we possess this sinless eternal life. But we look forward to it. First Peter tells us this, if we have that verse. It says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupt, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we have it. Scripture clearly says that we have it, yet we have yet to experience the fullness of it. And we've yet to see Jesus Christ revealed for who he is. But when we see him revealed, then we'll be, we will become like him, is what Scripture says. And so we pass on this good news to other people by faith, believing that God has already done in us what he's promised, even in those moments that we don't feel like it. It's the difference between positional and practical, right? Positionally in Jesus Christ, we are, we are holy, we are righteous when God looks, us, looks at us. Practically, I don't know about you, but there are days that I feel like I'm still just as messed up as, as I was before I met Christ. 
But positionally, when God looks at me, he says, you are holy, you are righteous, you will be with me forever. And that is what we pass on. Not in our own strength, but in God's strength. I think this last week, um, was it Thursday that it snowed? Wednesday night, Thursday, when the snow started coming down. And and I think about what it looks like to, um, to pass on a blessing. My kids, I was, I was actually walking up the stairs, and I had no idea, I don't know about you, I had no idea that the snow was coming. Um, I watched the news, watched the weather, nothing about snow, but I look out, and there's stuff falling. I'm like, what is that? And I started looking again, and I was like, it's actually snowing. So I told the kids it was snowing, and they ran, and they got their stuff, and Bear was out the door. Man, before I could even count to 10, he didn't put socks on, he just threw his shoes on. Like, I was like, grab a jacket, and he's running down the street. He runs to his friend's house, and he's the whole way, as soon as he gets out the door, it's snowing, letting every kid in the neighborhood know that it's snowing. He was so excited. This was the best news that he had heard in a long time, the most exciting thing that had happened in his life in a long time, and what does he do? He runs out the door to pass on the blessing to others. Now, let me ask you. Is the good news of Jesus Christ better news than it's snowing? How many of us were quick to get on Facebook and let everybody know that it was snowing in Central Texas? Now, how many of us are just as quick to get on Facebook and tell our friends about the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ? How many of us are as excited about the gospel as we are about the news that it's snowing? You know what I wish? I wish I could see what it was like when Christians were, were as excited about the gospel as they are about who is and isn't kneeling for the national anthem. I wish Christians would be as excited. I wonder what God could do if Christians would talk as much in their conversations and on Facebook about the gospel as they do about things that are happening in politics. What difference could God make if we were to begin passing on this blessing? If we were to pass on that blessing. Let's live by faith. Let's pass on the blessing to others. Secondly, I want us to see uh, that we should live worshiping by faith. Worshiping by faith. Remember, this man has very little time left in his life. And what does he do? He worships. How many of us have said, I just have no time? I don't have any time. I don't have any time. I'm busy. Yet here's a man who literally has no time left. And what does he do? He worships. He makes worship a priority. He makes worship a priority. Let me ask you, with the little time that you have, are you making worship a priority? When you look at your life, would you say that worship is a priority? Are you worshiping in gratitude for all that God has done? thinking about all that he has saved you from through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you worshiping in gratitude? Are you worshiping through testimony, telling others, hey, let me tell you about my God, my shepherd, who's been with me all my life, even till today. That God is my shepherd. He's providing and protecting protecting me. Let me share that with you. Uh, I think when we we talk about uh, worship, it's a difficult thing because 
we feel like worship has to look a certain way or has to mean a certain thing, but honestly, I think this last point about Jacob's death and his life is the thing that really reflects the life of a worshiper and that we need to live as a sojourner by faith. We need to live as a sojourner by faith. Philippians 3.20 tells us that we, we need to remember that our citizenship is not on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.11, he says that we have to remember that we are aliens and strangers. We're just passing through. That this is not our final home. We simply are passing through. And just as Jacob didn't cling to the pleasures and treasures of Egypt, neither should we cling to the pleasures and treasures of this world. We must live with our eyes on the eternal rather than the temporal. And Jesus tells us exactly how to do that in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21 tell us this. We have those verses. I don't think we have those verses, but Jesus tells us, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, these are very challenging verses, because most of us, when we think about treasure, we immediately think about money. But I'll tell you, I think there's, there's actually two things that tell us where our treasure lies. Time and money. If you pull out your calendar and you pull out your checkbook and you look at where you're spending your time and you look at where you're spending your money, I think you can very clearly see where your priorities are, where your treasures are. And this is a challenging thing because it's where we spend our time and our money, I believe, is an indication not only of what we value, but what we worship. What do we value? What are we putting a value on? What are we giving our lives to? Jacob was focused on the eternal. Jacob was focused on, he said, look, I know this world is not, this is not the final place. This is not my final resting place in Egypt. And as Christians, we need to recognize that this is not our final home. This is not our final resting place. We need to live as sojourners. It's a very sad thing. Um, I haven't had many experiences with death or funerals, um, but I can remember a few instances where I have known people who were close to death and visited their hospital bed, and all they could think about was their stuff. And then they died. What are they going to do with that stuff? And they were clinging They were clinging to this life, afraid to let it go, much like the men whose quotes we read earlier. But I've had the other experience of of believers, people like my grandmother, who just say, you know what? It's been great, but I'm going home. I'm going home. I've been on a 94, almost 95-year journey. I'm going home. Jacob understands that he's going home. Every single one of us needs to understand that there will come a time when we will go home. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed his grandsons and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. When he was dying, when he was dying, think about your last days, when he was dying, What will come next? Now think about that phrase. 
when he was living, when she was living, what will come next? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would help us to not only die by faith, ending well, but you would help us to live by faith, that you would give us the strength to bless others, that you would give us the strength to worship in faith, and that you would give us the strength to keep our eyes focused on the eternal, understanding that this world is not the end, that we're simply passing through. Lord, would you help us to keep our priorities focused on you and on what is truly important in this life. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.